0: Our reading this evening is Jeremiah, chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, And until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls, against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I can't keep track of all the names without a picture. And so that's why I gave you a picture today. If you take a look at the bulletin on the left, left side inside your bulletin, you've got the beginnings of the kingdom of Israel. And it's color-coded for your reference. There's a whole bunch missing. But you see the first three kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon. And David gets that golden color because he was a good king. There were not many good kings over all of Israel. There were no good kings over the northern tribes, and only a handful of good kings over the tribe of Judah. And you see them in the right-hand side of the page. You see a number of those kings going on down the page. Those two lines going down on that page show you on the right-hand side the kingdom of Israel and on the left-hand side the kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom ends with King Hosea who reigned nine years, and then Samaria fell. They were exiled, the people of the north, the northern ten tribes of Israel. They were exiled by the Assyrians, taken off into captivity. But God's people remained in the south with Jerusalem and the tribe of Judah. And their line went on for a little while yet, another 150 years or so. But that line also ends when Jerusalem falls at the bottom of the page there. It falls, and then Zedekiah is put up as kind of a puppet king as the Babylonians lead the people of Israel off into exile. I know the text is kind of small, but if you look over on the left side of that right-hand page, you can see Jeremiah's name listed there. He begins prophesying during the reign of King Josiah. That's the second golden circle on the right-hand side of the page. King Josiah, who reigned for 31 years. He was the last good king of Israel. Just before him, a few generations before, Hezekiah was also a good king. Although there were many kings of Judah, only four get credit for being good kings in the Bible. Everyone else was wicked and followed their own hearts. Jeremiah begins prophesying during the reign of Josiah. And you heard a little bit about his origin tonight. He was one of the sons of a priest, the priest Hilkiah. And he starts prophesying during the reign of Josiah because although God's people in the south, the kingdom of Judah, should have learned a lesson from the behavior of the kingdom of Israel, they didn't. God had punished Israel for their disobedience. He had led them off into exile, and then he turned to the south, he turned to Judah and said, see what will happen if you are disobedient, and so don't be disobedient. Believe my words, follow my commands, and you will live, and yet... They were corrupt just as well as the northern kingdom was. And so Jeremiah began to preach. And he preached a message of repentance. That's always the message the prophets bring, a message of repentance. And he preached and he preached and he preached. You can see he preached for four kings' worth. And he preached about everything that was going to happen to them if they would not turn and repent and believe in God. That was the whole point. God sent a prophet because he wanted his people to be saved. He did not want their enemies to conquer them. He did not want them to suffer. He did not want them to lose their homes or lose their temple. He did not want them to mourn and weep. He wanted them to rejoice. And so he sent the prophet. We have a lot to learn today from the call of Jeremiah. We'll hear more in the following weeks about his message, but today his call is in our attention, in our focus. And notice how God calls. The same way that God calls Jeremiah is the way that he calls anyone to do any task. So, take your cue from how God calls Jeremiah. First, God tells Jeremiah that he called him from before he was formed in the womb. From all eternity, that is, God has known each and every one of his people. Consecrated him, set him apart for this task from before birth which shows you just how seriously God has taken this task. This is not something that he decided last minute for Jeremiah to be a prophet. It wasn't a contingency plan, but it was something that he knew would be needed, and so he prepared for it from long before Jeremiah's birth. God set him apart. Jeremiah is ideal as a prophet because he doesn't want the job. That is often the case. For people tasked with preaching God's word, if they want the job too badly, then they probably shouldn't have it. They might be a boastful pretender. They might make a really good TV evangelist, but they're probably not a faithful preacher. I'm but a youth, Jeremiah says, kind of like Moses. I don't know how to talk. I don't know how to speak. He objects. I'm not the right man for this job. And that is, in fact, exactly what qualifies him for this job. He needs to be humble if he's going to say what God wants him to say. He can't have his own ideas. He can't have his own grand plans, his schemes for how things are going to take place. He can't have his own words that he thinks the people need to hear. Instead, he has to rely entirely on God's word. And so it is good that he objects. I don't know how to speak. God hears this objection and dismisses it. Go. You will go. <laughs> you will go and you will speak. It is God's sending and God's commanding that equips the prophet. It's not because he's bright or skillful as a speaker. It's not because he has any quality about him that will make people want to listen to him. In fact, God's going to make Jeremiah do some things that will make people not want to listen to him. That was often the case for the prophets. Isaiah walked around naked for a while. Ezekiel had to lie down and eat bread that he cooked on cow's dung. To be a prophet is not to do things that people want to be around— But it is to be sent by God. It is to have His words in your mouth, and it is to go by His command. And God gives Jeremiah this precious promise Fear not. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Promise that is precious beyond measure. I am with you. In your going, in my sending you, I'm not sending you off on your own. If I did that, if God were to send Jeremiah off on his own, if he were to send you off on your own to whatever task God puts in front of you without help, without his aid, you would surely fail. Jeremiah would surely fail. And so God makes this promise. I am with you to deliver you. Don't be afraid of them. Those to whom I'm sending you, don't be afraid of what you will say. I'm the one who is giving you the words. And then God gives him this sign. God puts out his hand. And touches Jeremiah's mouth. This is a familiar sign to us who know the Bible. Like when the angel takes the coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips. Or when Jesus goes up to a deaf man and sticks his fingers in his ears. Or reaches out and grabs the the mute man's tongue and tugs on it with his fingers. God touches Jeremiah and says, I'm putting my words in your mouth. I'm putting my words in your mouth and I want you to be sure that they are my words. And here is what they will do. Pay close attention. Verse 10, God says, See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now those things are paired up in our text as if they go together, pluck up and break down, destroy and overthrow build and plant, but instead of being pairs, they're actually a sequence. It starts up here. I'm calling you to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. It's a picture of somebody going out in their woods trying to get rid of buckthorn. That's what it is. You have to start by knocking down the whole plant But then you can't just leave a stump line there. There's all kinds of things you're supposed to do to get rid of the buckthorn altogether. You have to put a tin can over it or you have to put some chemicals on it to burn it up or you have to burn it with fire. You've got to do something. And then what do you have to do? You have to dig up the soil and you have to plant something else in its place. That's what God's word is going to do. It's going to tear down what is old and establish something new. It's going to do it thoroughly from beginning to end and God has put these words into Jeremiah's mouth. And that task... Of tearing down and rebuilding, of putting to death and making alive again. That is the task. That is the thing that is most important in our world. That's the story of the whole Bible. It is the story of death and resurrection. When God gives those words to Jeremiah, he's giving to him this precious inheritance that belongs to all of us as well. For what is it that God has done for you in baptism except this very thing plucking you up and tearing you down? Destroying you, building you up, and planting you so that you are a new creation. So that you, like Jeremiah, can be equipped by God for every good work. That's what God's word is going to do. And it is something that we see pictured throughout the Bible. This is what God charges his people to do. Gideon is tasked with tearing down an altar. Later in Jeremiah, we're going to hear about the work that he is doing as a work of of de-creation. He is going to look out and he's going to see uh, a a vast, empty space. And it's like the beginning of the world all over again. And Jeremiah is going to fill that space with God's Word, with the Spirit of God that brings new life. God's Word, which, God says, he is watching carefully. God shows Jeremiah an almond branch, a watching tree To show him that he is keeping watch over his word. God does not let his words fall to the ground empty. They always accomplish the purpose that he sends out them to do. And that is really important. Our words often go out and drop straight to the ground. That's the way of words in this world. Even the most powerful people in this world can give commands and they might not happen. It might not be carried out. Whatever they ordered might not happen. But not so with God's command. When he says it, it happens. As surely as he said, let there be light, and there was light, so also God is watching to make sure that whatever he says to Jeremiah and Jeremiah repeats to the people, that is what happens. And here's what's going to happen. It's disaster from the north. It's tribes and nations that are outside of Israel coming in to camp themselves around Jerusalem, to lay siege to it, And to bring judgment against God's people. We'll hear much more about that later in Jeremiah. But this is the message. And if anything was going to make Jeremiah squirm, it would be that. I'm the one tasked with preaching judgment. I'm the one tasked with calling them out for their evil. For calling them out for offering sacrifices to other gods. And worshiping the work of their hands. That's what God describes it as. Worshiping the work of their hands. That's the task that I have. As if God anticipates exactly what Jeremiah might be thinking, he says to him, Get ready. Gird up your loins. As for you, he says, verse 17, Dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. That's just like what Jesus says to us in the gospel when he says, Do not be afraid of those who can destroy your bodies. But instead, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That is God himself. If you're afraid of earthly terrors, what you should really fear is the God who demands and commands your fear. If you fear the people of this world, if you fear the things of this world, if you fear for your earthly life, then you have something much greater you should fear for your soul, for what God brings in judgment against those who trust the things of this world who put their hope in this life. So don't be dismayed by them, God says to Jeremiah. Instead, be afraid of me. Fear God, and all will be well. Fear God, but don't be afraid of them. Behold, I make you this day a fortified city. Don't be afraid. And it is almost as if when God repeats this command, don't be dismayed, don't be afraid, Jeremiah should really begin to think, maybe I have a reason to be afraid. Maybe there is something that should give me pause. But God has offered him such assurance, such assurance beyond measure. You will be against the land, and they will fight against you, God says, but I am with you. This is not your battle. This is mine. I'm the Lord, and I have given you this command. This is not your task. This is mine. You are not your own, but you're the one that I have called and charged with this holy purpose. And that is exactly the way God calls any of us to whatever task he has given you. Even the most ordinary and basic tasks, which are despised by the world, but which are most highly esteemed in God's eyes, the task of being a parent, a father or a mother or a husband or a wife or a child or a grandparent or anything in between, being a neighbor, a worker, being a friend. Whatever task God has given you, and be sure of this, it is a task that God has given you, He also gives to you in the very same way that he gave to Jeremiah. As much as you might put up a fight, God says, I'm the one who gave you this task. I appointed this task for you from before you were born. I consecrated you for this task from long before you were in the womb. God is the one who assigns the duties. And that's a relief, I think, for Christians who might think that they need to go looking for things to do. In fact, God has already given you plenty to do. He has assigned you your station in life and he's the one who has charged you with that work and precisely when you do not feel fit for the task that is when you are most fit for it because it is god's task it's his word that he puts in your mouth it is his faith that he puts in your heart it is his spirit that he gives you it's his blessing it's his name by which he calls you you are his own You are his sheep, he's your shepherd, he's the creator of the world, and so when he says to you, do not be afraid, I am with you, he means it. For whatever task he has set in front of you, I am with you. And so, we can rejoice. And we should rejoice. I don't know if Jeremiah rejoiced, he's often known as the weeping prophet, and if you ever see him pictured in art, he looks pretty miserable most of the time. But I don't think that is because he was despairing of God. I think it's because he was sad that the people wouldn't listen. He's sad that they wouldn't love the God who loved them so dearly. He's sad that his people had to suffer so tragically. But he is not sad for the love of God. He's not hopeless about what God has given him to do. He's not hopeless about everything that God has set before him. In his heart is a burning fire because God has given his word. God has given such a blessing to you. Hold fast to that blessing. With confidence, do whatever it is that God has set before you. Rejoice that God has called you to be his owner. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.